Welcome back to another guest episode. I'm so excited today to have Heidi with me. She is a fellow doula in Kansas City, and she's a hospital-based birth doula um, who also is now building out an agency and has a podcast and doing all kinds of things with her business. So I'm super excited to talk business with her, but also super excited to talk hospital birth with her. So welcome, Heidi. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Taylor. I'm excited too. I love chatting about this stuff. And you can chat about this stuff for hours, so we'll try to keep it under that. I know. We were talking about how we're going to have to try to squeeze so much in. This is going to pack a punch, I know. So we're just going to dive right in. And I want to start with maybe just debunking some myths about doulas, about hospital birth, about just some of the common misconceptions that you probably come across all the time and hear um, being a hospital-based doula, because there's not many doulas that identify that way, I wouldn't say. Yeah, so I kind of, you know, developed that identity, I guess, as I got into doula work, I really wanted to just market to like a different type of parent that maybe was like Googling doula care like before, you know, and I think that, and, you know, I think whether you're giving birth at a hospital or not, I think the new wave of parents seeking doula care are very like evidence-based, highly educated. Like you're seeing this like whole nother wave where I think previously we were seeing a lot of you know, people just in the home birth world, in the natural birth community, like the crunchy mom seeking doula care. And I personally, I mean, of course, because it's what my business is marketed towards too, but I'm seeing so many more clients of like the under 30 generation who have multiple college degrees are very evidence-based, are very like, um, are very trusting of the of the medical care system and the doctors that they're working with, but they're reading all of this evidence on doula care, on doula support, and how it is bettering maternal health outcomes and fetal um, outcomes and helping people achieve you know vaginal deliveries and avoid you know interventions and things like that. And are like, um, I want that. The evidence is supporting doula care, which I know we know just from practice that doulas are evidence-based and amazing for all different types of birth but I think it's really reaching that next that next generation of or a new group of parents um that it watching before um with all the evidence that's come out to support doula care and so that's you know really kind of more my niche and what I kind of see in supporting that niche is so many people who don't want unmedicated birth who don't want home births and things like that but are wanting doula care and I just in practice have seen so by working in these births working with people who either want or need you know inductions or either they want them because they just want to give birth on a you know on a schedule they want a 39 week induction or need them because they have preeclampsia or any of those things um who are maybe choosing to get C-sections for different reasons that are, you know, wanting epidurals, like all these things, you know, just in practically supporting them, there is so much that a doula can do inside of those births. And I, I would even argue that my births that are like unmedicated, you know, quote unquote natural births, the birth that you think of when you think of doula care, are the easier births to attend over the higher intervention ones um, because, you know, hip squeezes are the easy part of the job, I always say. It's like the advocating, the working around the interventions, the, um, you know, helping my clients get informed consent from medical staff, attending three-day-long inductions. Like, that's the hard part of the job. Um, and, and it's really where doulas with the right skills can be, can be you know, huge advocates for their clients and really make or break their birth experience by helping them navigate the interventions that they either want or need to have in their birth experience. And so, you know, I think that that's where some of that debunking comes in. Um, yes, our doula is great at helping you um, have like more natural pain control so you can have an unmedicated birth. Like, yeah, we're great at that. We are, we are trained to do that, but we're also trained to do so many other things. A doula is really somebody who is 
kind of like your navigator through the pregnancy and birth and postpartum experience. And we can help you navigate a medically complex birth. We can help you navigate, um, you know, trauma that you have surrounding your past birth experiences and how to avoid them in your next birth experiences. We can help you navigate pregnancy and birth prep and all of those questions that you have about um, how to prepare for postpartum. And we can answer those newborn questions postpartum. We're really kind of that person to fill in all those gaps that the medical system isn't filling because the medical system is a medical system and birth is so much more than a medical event. Yeah, 100%. I think you debunked a lot of it. So I hope anyone listening that thinks, well, I'm having a baby in a hospital and I'm getting an epidural anyways, so I don't need a doula. I hope that you heard what Heidi said. I hope that you heard that it's so much more than natural pain management, that there's advocacy involved in navigating these choices and navigating the interventions and making sure you're giving informed consent to these interventions and postpartum support. There's so much more that goes into it. And I would totally agree that medically, more medically complex births tend to be the harder ones. Those three-day yeah. interventions. Woo, I've done a few of those. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole of like advocacy and awareness and these parents that are educating themselves and that are maybe also noticing some things in the evidence like huh that policy is not really evidence-based anymore but it's still going on in my hospital or I kind of want this choice because I'm seeing the evidence is showing this choice but that's not the standard of care in the hospital near me or you know, how are you helping them navigate some of those choices? And what, and maybe back up a little bit, what are some of the standard like policies and procedures that you're seeing that maybe aren't evidence-based anymore, but are still kind of in the system? Because as we know, it takes so much time for evidence to turn to practice. Absolutely. I think about, you know, it's such a complicated question. And I think, you know, what evidence based is also different for every birth of like some births they want intermittent monitoring and can get intermittent monitoring and then the other then another birth you know they're at the same hospital with the same doctor but they have more complex histories or medical things that like they can't have that so i think what's what's so important is finding a doctor that you know is adaptive and that you can trust to counsel you appropriately and not counsel you based on just their hospital policies or what they just always do. Um, and I find that, you know, it it's like night and day between different hospitals. The ones that are smaller are usually a lot more adaptive towards their clients' needs than the big hospitals tend to have this attitude of, we do this every day, we know what we're doing, so this is the way to do it. And I think that that is so against what our current parents, you know, the current generation of mothers and parents having babies want in their birth because we are living in this information age where we know so many options available to us in the pregnancy, the birthing, the, um, you know, just from TikTok, from Instagram, from working with our doulas, from listening to podcasts. We know so many options available to us and it's these bigger hospitals that, you know, uh, me and my doulas like to call a few of them like the baby factories in the area, you know, where, where they're like, okay, we're, we're in and out. We're getting like a large volume of clientele through. And so this is kind of the way we do it. And you're going to kind of fit into this mold. And for anybody who asks for something different, it's like this pushback. And what really frustrates me about that. Uh, is that I'm going to these other hospitals that are do that are giving patients choice and options and making them active decision makers inside of their own experience, and that and they're having good birth. You know, they're still having healthy moms and babies, and like there's not just this one way to do things. And I think you know the biggest one, like right, you know, the few that I see consistently that are like huge differences between hospital to hospital is eating during labor and not eating during labor of some hospitals in the area like my client will be having you know pitocin epidural like all the interventions and they're like yeah eat like i'll bring you in a tray you know what i mean like of a meal like like yeah eat and then i'm seeing other hospitals that it's like 
you're in a spontaneous labor, no epidural, you know, everything is going smoothly. And they're like, oh, yeah, only, you know, clear fluid, clear liquid, you know, and it's right. like, that's, that's you're like, so that's cool. weird. I was at a birth yesterday and my mom ate yeah. and everything was fine. That was like probably like this birth was probably much higher likelihood of having a C-section than this birth, but yet like you're saying this birth can't eat and this birth can like it's so frustrating. And so I think that's very important for like all of these examples are important for parents to know that there are and of course like we live in a huge metropolitan area area, so there are lots of choices when it comes to where like which hospital you're going to give birth in. Some people live where like they only have one hospital option or like a small um, like a one small OB practice and I don't want to discount that that isn't some people's reality and sometimes insurance dictates where you're going to give birth but I do think that there are so much more variations in care probably where you live than people realize like you just think oh if I'm giving birth at a hospital this is what I'm going to have to give up like these are the policies that I'm going to have to fight against versus seeing that there are huge variations between one hospital and the other hospital to help you have, you know, more evidence-based care, more collaborative care with your doctors. And then the second one I want to mention is the pushing on your back. Um, like I see, you know, like every, every doctor or hospital that I'll go to, like if you ask them directly, can people push in other positions would probably would say, yes, you can push in other positions on your back. Like you're not a prisoner, you don't have to be like strapped down on the bed on your back. But in practice, what I see is that there's certain hospitals that are really only comfortable delivering in that position and are going to push with all of their might through like manipulation and conversation to do to have you on your back. And some ways that I've seen that you know, look in different in different settings is one, um, them telling you that it's not effective to push in other positions, which is so ridiculous to me. I've said, you know, um, I, I just want to be like, you realize I attend births in other places where people are giving birth in all different positions. And then and like, it's so wild to me that they would just say like, that's like a lie, you know, in front of me oh, and my client. Um, but the funniest thing to me is when one nurse said that, a squat puts your pelvis at a right angle so the baby can't get out. And then when my client was on her back, they said, get into like a squat position, but on your back, like pull your feet back like you're in a squat. And I was like, so it's a squat, but you're just on your back. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a doctor and a nurse say, like, an upright position, the pubic bone will get in the way, and I also heard that if you're sitting up too much, it will be a right angle, and baby will have to come out at a right angle, and I'm like, who's teaching y'all anatomy? <laughs> like, this is not reality. Like there's three stations. Babies already come out of the pubic bone a little bit. You know what I mean? Like there aren't there the pubic bone that I have a pelvic bone. So there are this pubic bone right here. And yeah, we have to push them completely under the pubic bone, but they're not hitting the top of the pubic bone. Like they've already come under the pubic bone, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, how does this make any sense? And then, you know, then I go to a different hospital that is, you know, that has midwives doing the deliveries and they're like, yeah, we feel like when we're doing your cervical check, we feel like baby's going to have a hard time, you know, fitting through this pelvis. So we're going to start pushing. Like, I know you have an epidural, but we're going to start pushing it on cord. Then we're going to start, then we're going to switch you to a squat. Like they are telling them to do all different positions to get baby to fit, you know, and to have an easier time pushing where the other ones are like, you have to literally like fight them in order like say no you're wrong I'm going to do this in order to get into different positions and especially if you have an epidural you need collaboration from the nurses and from people to help you get into those positions um another thing that I hear that's very frustrating too is the nurses saying that they will push in whatever position but that the doctor decides what position you deliver in um and that is something that I find you know incredibly frustrating or like that well that's that's like, you know, not okay to tell somebody you have to deliver that position because it's what makes the doctor most comfortable. Um, when we see doctors and midwives delivering babies in all different positions all the time, and it's like, why can't you just learn how to catch a baby in a different position instead of telling your patients that 
this is the only way you can deliver because it's the only way I'm trained to deliver a baby. And so I guess to answer your question in a huge roundabout way, um, yes, there are practices still happening in hospitals that are so far from what is like the current recommendations by ACOG, from what is the current like evidence, from what other doctors who are more open-minded and maybe went to school more recently or something are practicing. Um, but there is that like that difference in care of I don't think that you can't have a supported, you know, evidence-based birth in a hospital setting with the right providers. I think that's a big, the big problem is, is that, you know, I, I am very comfortable like advocating for my clients and helping them and helping them, you know, you know, advocate and ask the right questions and ask for the things that they want. But labor is not a time where you feel um, capable of like really stepping into like an advocacy role for yourself or really asking for the things that you want. Like it's a very, um, it's a very like scary, vulnerable position being like a person in labor. And um, I think that it's incredibly important to feel like everybody around you like has your back and is supporting you during the labor experience so that you can relax, so that you can have the experience you want. And so you're not, so you're able to go into more of that like primal brain that we need to go into to have labor progress versus being in that like thinking, advocacy, fighting brain. And so, you know, that's something that I think is unfortunate about hospital birth is that when you don't have that like supportive, the supportive caregivers around you, um, it, you might go in thinking, I'm a strong woman. I know what I want. I'm going to ask for this and this and this. But when you're, you know, in bed with an epidural and people are standing over you, I think they call it like the fawn effect, right? Because like when you're kind of like in a vulnerable position, it's mm. almost like you, like your subconscious wants to please the people who are seeming like in, in kind of control of you. Like if you're in an, you, you have an epidural and you're laying in bed and people are standing over you telling you, no, you're wrong. This is the right way to do things. I do this all the time and this is how we do it. Um, it's very hard to feel like you can push back on that or um, ask for something different or advocate for yourself when you're in that position. And, you know, as a doula, of course, not every doula believe, you know, believes or has skills to advocate for their clients. Um, of course, you know, I tend towards a little bit more on the advocacy side of doula work. And I definitely am going to, like, stand up for my clients and help and, like, ask leading questions and try to like open up space in the room for like more of a conversation around that to try to keep my client in the driver's seat but even with me doing that and even with having a duel who can advocate for you you know you are the decision maker you are the one who has to say no I, I want this or I want that um, and that can be really difficult for a lot of parents in that in a position where they don't feel supported and that's something that's you know we can talk all day about how to advocate for yourself in the hospital and how you can have an empowered hospital birth. But that's the one unfortunate thing about hospital birth is that there is so many nuances as to who is going to be at your birth, which doctor, which nurse, um, you know, how, you know, how is it going to go? What policies are you going to have to fight against? Like, there's so many of these nuances that you will always, there will always be the possibility that you might have to give up something or not get what you're wanting for the, like, the, the experience or the safety of birthing inside of a hospital setting or the need if you know you have a medical until the system changes you know like a doula can't fix the whole entire system just by being there does that make sense yeah yeah and I think that's why <clears throat> I have found myself like becoming and I've be, I've been passionate about this for a long time but the prenatal work the work that we have to do before birthday because you're so right when you come in on birthday like you are in a different zone and you need to be like, you need to be in a different zone. Yeah. And it is very hard to make like sound, rational, kind of even educated decisions in that moment. You need to have made those decisions ahead of time and dictated your choices according to those things ahead of time. Like asked your provider, questions 
and decided if their answers fit your values and your desires so that you could make a change prior to birthday if you needed to, whether that is switching from like one of those bigger hospitals to a smaller hospital, maybe that's an option for you. If you do, you know, want or need a hospital birth and, um, you know, I always recommend to people because of like what you were saying about those nuances is asking about what happens if you're not the one that's here on my birthday? A lot of people don't realize their doctor might not be the one that's there or reminding clients like you can ask for a new nurse if you don't vibe with the nurse because that person is important in the room. She's dictating, I say she, but it could be a man, I guess. Like they're dictating a lot of how your care is going. Um, so I think that that's all really, really good. Um, and kind of covers the idea that like not all hospitals are created equal. Not all providers are created equal. Yeah. And I think that's what's frustrating, that what is frustrating as a dual who primarily works in hospital birth. Is like the longer, you know, I think I went into dual work with more, you know, you go in with a little bit of that, like, oh, like you can just advocate for what you want and you can just, you know, ask for you and you don't have to accept like any interventions, like that positivity. And I think the longer you work, you realize like in, in this world is like, there are things that need, there are like, and people might be listening to this podcast and say, you know, I, my insurance is dictating which doctor I go to or which hospital I give birth at. I don't have these options. I don't have this option. So then, then I kind of leave you with like, so then I only have the high interventions, non-evidence-based options that now I'm forced to give birth at. And how do I advocate for myself to have a better experience? You're going to be fighting like an uphill battle. And I think that, you know, now as a doula, it's, what is so frustrating is looking at the system as a whole and saying like the system as a whole in hospital birth needs to change. Like the whole entire system needs to change. Insurance is need to stop, you know, dictating which doctors we go to. Hospitals need to, you know, invest more money in continuing education for their nurses and their doctors to stay up to up to date on different practices and keep up to date with trainings and things that are coming out. Like, there's all these things that need to happen on a system level. And I think a lot of people giving birth, overwhelmed by the system level changes, are hiring doulas to help fill in those gaps. And I do think that we fill in those gaps. Like, that is true. We fill in some of those gaps. But we cannot, as one individual person, change the whole entire system for you to have, like, the easiest, best birth ever or your dream birth. Like, we can certainly ask questions advocate for you, um, help you know your different options, help you find the correct providers to switch to that can maybe help fulfill your your wishes a little bit better. Like we can do all those things, but we as individuals cannot completely change the system um, as a whole for you in this moment, giving birth to your first baby. And it's okay, or your first or second or third baby or whatever. And it's okay for you to be frustrated by that. It's okay to, you know, a lot of things, we just have to pick the best option for us, even if all the options are imperfect, you know, like if you feel safer giving birth in a hospital, or you need more medical care that you're going to give birth in a hospital, like, like, personally, I gave birth to both my babies in a hospital, and like, I, I did give birth at a very small, more, you know, what I think is a way less high, like a very low intervention hospital, but you know, I still was like, I'm going to give up things, to give birth at this hospital because I feel safer here. I'm going to give up. Like I wanted to leave like two hours after birth. And they were like, no, you're going to, you know, we're going to send in something to your insurance that like you have, you know, refused medical care and then you might not get your birth covered. I'm like, okay, I guess I just stay 24 hours. Like, you know, like there's different things I had to give up even having a very, very low intervention, you know, birth of you know the exact birth that I wanted there's different things I still to give up to be in the hospital setting where I felt safest and I think that you know that's frustrating I'm sure for people who are pregnant to hear but that is the reality of what I see even as a doula like I I know some doulas are not very comfortable with advocacy and there's even doulas who don't believe that advocacy is the role, the role of a doula but even as a doula who's comfortable advocating for her clients that is something I see that there are some things that I just can't change and there are things that 
my clients in prenatal meetings will say that they want, but then when we get to the birth and they are, you know, the staff is fighting against them, they're like, yeah, that's not something that's not a hill I'm willing to die on of like creating um, tension in the room in order to have this this thing you know that I wanted like, like pushing on like delivering on all fours or something like that like I'm not willing to create tension around the birth of my baby to advocate for that thing and that's okay and it's um you know my perspective always isn't on it is the more we have these conversations the more we invite duos into the birth space the more we support the doctors who are providing collaborative care with their clients and having open discussions with their clients and and seeing the nuances of birth and not just saying this is the only way I do it. Um, the more we ask for different things as people who are pregnant um, from our providers and from our hospital systems, the more we're slowly going to change the system. And I think that we've seen change over the last 10 years. Like I, you know, I, I personally, especially since like our parents gave birth, like if you hear about when our parents gave birth, you know, at least for my mom, she had three unmedicated births and she was like, yeah, I wasn't allowed to get off the bed. And I was like, so what did you do? And she was like, yeah, I just held onto the bed rails and just like every contraction and gripped them as hard as I could. And then just like had three unmedicated births. And I'm like, you know, then she witnessed my sister. It's like, then I would tell her about my unmedicated birth. She's like, they let you get in the tub. They let you walk around. They let you sit on the tub. I'm like, they let me? Like, you know, and so, you know, I think that there has been change in, like, the birth world. And she would just say, like, you know, oh, back then you just didn't ask questions. Like, you just, you know, you went in, the doctors told you what you were allowed to do, and that's what you did. And so I think, you know, with the internet and with the presence of doulas and, like, with all of this information that we've gotten, there has been change in the birth world. That I see practically as a doula a lot of the smaller practices gaining a lot more traction and a lot more clients and filling up their birth rooms because from word of mouth, people are saying like these doctors are going to support different plans of care and be more supportive and stuff. And so I think that there is positive change, but you can't change the whole system overnight for your birth. And I try to just look at those little positives of like every time I get a nurse or a doctor to look at something a little bit more open-minded or do something a little bit different. Like, hopefully I always say like for our kids, you know, the word, like it will be a lot different giving birth inside of a hospital setting. At least I will hope so. Yeah. I think there has been positive change for sure. And we still have a long, long way to go, but like you just said, we have, we as the mothers, have to start demanding and I should say parents you know because the dads are amazing too like partners are amazing um and having a partner that can speak up for you when you can't is great even if you have a doula because nurses want to listen to the parents and doulas you know we want to we want to help you guys navigate this and then you have to speak up for yourselves um but it's us asking for these things over and over and over and over again that is going to create the change. Um, so talking about the advocacy stuff and talking about like doulas that aren't comfortable with advocacy or um, like, what does that look like in practice? When you, A, you have to go back to this hospital maybe next week and you don't want to piss every nurse and doctor off. B, you don't want to create that tension in the room for your client. Absolutely. Um, like, what are some of the ways that you do that in a productive way that does open their minds? Yep, absolutely. I think that this is a great conversation because I think that it's one, it's very nuanced. Two, it's a learned skill. Like I would say I get better at it with time. Um, and three, it's an important conversation because I think so many people view advocacy as confrontational. And I think we need to step away from that because my priority, like when I talk about this with my clients, you know, lots of them are like, I don't want you and the doctor to fight. Like, and I'm like, I don't want that either. Like, I'm I, that's not my goal at all because my main goal is for you to have a fun, to keep the environment positive. And like that, you know, there is a lot to be said about 
about keeping tension out of the birth space and having a positive birth environment that helped labor progress along and helped, you know, you have a positive birth experience. And so I think that that's very important. So one, I like to call them non-conversational advocacy techniques. And then two, the main thing for me is I, I heard another dual say this on TikTok. I wish that like it's a great word for what I'm going to explain. Um, I wish I remembered who, uh, but she calls it dueling the room. So like, instead of just dueling your client, you're dueling the whole space of you are like opening up space for these conversations to happen between the nurse, the doctor and your client. So like you're helping almost like a mediator. Yeah. Like you're helping asking the leading questions and asking about, you know, what about this and what about that? to open up space for them to have the conversations and for them for and for things that maybe people are thinking to come to light like the doctor might say this is what we're doing but then if you like ask the right questions and open up space for that they're going to then talk more about like oh well these are also additional options or this is or even like an explanation as to why that is because a lot of times I even see my clients maybe get combative with a doctor suggesting a plan of care because they don't understand why that doctor is suggesting the plan of care. Like maybe, you know, as a doula, I'm like, I agree with the doctor, like that is the best next step forward. But my client, you know, is obviously my number one priority and is being combative towards the doctor because they don't agree with that recommendation. And the reason that they don't agree with this is because they don't understand like why that is the suggestion. So like opening up space for that. So there's, you know, there's a lot in that term dueling the room. A few non-confrontational advocacy techniques that I like to use is um, one, number one, um, well, I mean, like, the BRAIN acronym is, like, everybody uses that, like, benefits, risk, alternatives, information, and, or no, intuition, and nothing, like, well, you know, how to ask different questions and stuff to find that. Um, something that I think is imperative is asking to wait and asking for more time. Um you know, waiting usually can almost always be done. And things are, I will say, I have had less than, like, on one hand, something that was, like, a true emergency and probably attending 50 to 60 births. Um, things that were true emergencies, even in those true emergencies, there's a minute to, like, explain what's going on and give people a second to, like, wait to make a decision or think of any questions. I think where a lot of decisions come in where I see clients regret their decision is when the doctor comes in, like, just for example, with the hook and it's like, hey, let's break your water. And, like, they're like, okay, because they're laying there in bed, like, with an epidural. And they're like, okay, the doctor's standing over me with a hook that they already took out of their sterile bag. So, like, okay, I'm going to get my water broken. Like, in those moments, it's so important to wait to ask, like, hey, can I have some time to think about this? Can I have some time to talk with my partner about this? Can we think of, you know, or talk to my doula about it? Can we ask, you know, just creating space to even just think of, like, the things you learned in childbirth education class or to run through the brain acronym or to talk with your partner about what they think or just to even, you know, you don't have to make a decision in that space, but to think of questions you want to ask your provider before making that decision, um, I think is so important. Um, another thing that I think is really important um, in advocacy is, um, oh, my gosh, what am I, what am I thinking of? Um, I'll go into my other one and then I'll go back to that one because I had one of my brain and I just left. Um, oh, oh, knowing what's coming up in the birth space. So like, and that's where childbirth education comes in of like knowing that in triage, they're going to put in an IV and hook you up to the monitors. And then when you get to your room, they're going to hook you up to like the continuous monitoring, like knowing what, the, what your hospital's policy and procedures are is so important to getting ahead of those decisions. Because when they're hooking you up to like the continuous monitors, it's like way more combative to be like, stop, I don't want that. Then to just know that that is something that is in their policies and procedures that's going to happen when you move to your room. So that in triage, you can say, hey, here's my birth plan. I really want to do intermittent monitoring. I already talked to my doctor about intermittent monitoring. You know, if you have any questions, if you don't have a proof, feel free to call my doctor. Like, this is what I'm wanting. 
So then you're having this conversation in a more like positive and neutral state before the thing is actually happening to you. And then it's like a combative, like, no, stop touching me. This is not what we're going to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Um, and so I think that that is really important. And that's also where like a doula can come in a lot because, you know, it's a lot to know. Like if you've never given birth before, it's hard to know what every, what the hospital system is because it, it's a system. Like they kind of have this like chain of events that happens when you get checked into the hospital that kind of all cascade and happen um, unless you ask for something differently. And I'm not necessarily like a against that I wish that there was more like individualized care but I understand that there are a lot of people who come into birth who don't have a birth plan and didn't get childbirth education so they kind of just have this like system that they do for people who don't ask for something differently but I think if you're wanting something different you need to know what that system is that you're going to get placed into so you can look for when those things are going to happen and have that conversation before they happen instead of asking for it like something different as it's happening can is definitely a lot more confrontational. Um, and then the last one that I wanted to talk about is calling out what's happening in the room, because I, I think this is where doulas need to step in a lot better um, because I think, you know, a lot of doulas and a lot of doula trainings teach that doulas don't advocate because we're not allowed to talk for our clients. Like, because we, you know, even if it's something we talked about, you know, pre pre-birth you know like pre like in childbirth education like say we talked about how they wanted a hands-off delivery and we see the you know the doctor going in to do parent you know massage on the perineum like and we, but we talked about childbirth education like maybe their mind changed during the birth and they're okay now with like with like massage like maybe like that could be something that happened and so I understand that like Tool of trains up saying, like, don't talk for your client because you don't know what your client's thinking and wanting in that moment. But, you know, as doulas, most of us know our clients' desires way more than like the nurses and the doctors in the room. Um, because the doctors, like, during appointments, they have, you know, hundreds of patients potentially that they maybe have a quick conversation about their birth preferences, even if it is happens to be your doctor at the birth, chances are they don't remember like what, you know, what you talked about, what your individual preferences are to the nurse. You're probably meeting for the first time that day. And so, you know, a lot of them don't know your birth preferences. So I think it is in the role of doulas to bring up those birth preferences and talk about those. But, you know, in the example I give of like, say your client's wanting hands off delivery and the nurse starts going in to do um, massage on the perineum, like, you might not say stop, don't touch her because that's confrontational, but say, you know, to your client, hey, just so you know, the nurses start, you know, maybe they have an epidural and they don't know what's going on down there and saying, hey, just so you know, the, the nurse is doing some massage in your perineum. Like, do you, you know, do you want her to do that? Like just talking bluntly about what is happening in the space. Um, and even I think that that also goes for things that aren't, you know, that are, you know, I don't know, like not okay for what we should be doing. Um, of like, you know, touching people without consent and all that stuff. I think that that it's very important if you're going to like long term be a doula and not suffer secondhand trauma or blame yourself for traumatic things that happen to your clients to put yourself in that position where you can like speak up and, and call out in the room like what is happening in order to make your client aware of it. Just personally, as like a doula, I think that before I learned that skill, there are a lot of things I look back on and I'm like, I felt very uncomfortable in the situation. Like you feel like, you know, you're witnessing, like maybe, you know, not to be dramatic, but like an assault kind of thing. And you're like, what do I do? You know, like as you're like, what do I do? And that's really what like turned the tables for me after one or two of those experiences of like learning advocacy tools. Um, because it was like, you know, I'm not okay with like witnessing these things happening. That maybe my clients don't think are a big deal, but like I think are a big deal, and I think are totally out of line for an OB or a nurse to be doing um, without like informed consent from my clients, and um, that's what really turned the tables for me to like learn advocacy skills. Is like to be, and I think labor and delivery nurses like this is a huge thing in their world too. Of like they see bad things happen and like aren't um, 
speaking up for like their patients and then you get secondhand trauma for that or even blame yourself for some of those things happening even if you weren't the person to do it you know and I and I again I don't want to be dramatic but I literally equate it to like you know just because you're giving birth doesn't mean people can touch you non-consensually you know like just just because you're in a birth space and so you know I equate it to like you know in college if you saw like uh, you know, somebody assaulting like a drunk girl, you would be complicit, like in that crime, if you didn't say anything or call the police or like raise any alarm bells over it. And so I think that it's really important for doulas, for partners, for anybody to learn some of those advocacy techniques to stand up for the person giving birth in that moment, especially when you are in these medically complex births or you are in births where your client has an epidural, because there tends to be this like almost God complex put on the doctor and like these medically intense births where like the mom is taken out of the driver's seat and the doctor is kind of put into the driver's seat. And I think that the biggest role of a doula of a partner in more medically complex birth environments or in births where your client is getting an epidural to learn advocacy techniques that put your clients back in the driver's seat of the birth experience that puts the mom in the driver's seat instead of that like doctor being put in the driver's seat just because it's a more medically complex birth because even though they are on your team to help you have a safe birth like a doctor is it's really still your your role as the person who is inside of your body and the mother of your child to be be the final decision maker in those decisions of what's happening to you in your body during the experience yeah, and there's different ways to keep someone safe and safe is relative mm-hmm. and risk is relative. And maybe there's a way to keep mom safe without doing that thing that may be yeah. more invasive or maybe something that she doesn't want. Um, yeah. I think those are always are all so good. That's definitely something. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got like really deep there. <laughs> no, I think you have to get deep because... As much as I know you and I toe this line with like our podcast and how we talk to clients and how we show up on social media of like not wanting to instill more fear, but also really wanting to highlight and showcase and pull back the curtain of some of the things that really just are the reality. Like it's not about giving you this big traumatic, like you're set up for failure and all of this stuff, but it's like, how can we make you aware Absolutely. enough so that you can ask the right questions and you can know what to do and say and what to ask for and not ask for? And one thing I wanted to say about that pause, um, because that one is so huge and it's such a good, it's so good. You can use it in like so many situations. Yeah. It also gives you a chance to check in with your intuition. And Absolutely just like you said, that complex, that God complex, like when they're in the room, it's really hard to listen to the voice inside of you. It's really hard. Even coming from someone who is a doula and knows how to advocate, when I'm in the patient role, I struggle with it. It's hard. And so asking for that pause, can you just give us a minute gives you that time to like collect yourself and then hear that voice and be like, Oh, okay. Now I know what I want. Yeah. And even like something I talk about sometimes is also to other doulas. I talk about this, not also putting yourself as a doula in the driver's seat of your client's birth, you know, Mm -hmm. of also maybe sometimes your client needs space from you to make these decisions um, of like, you know, because sometimes even if you are the most open doula in the world to interventions, sometimes clients feel that pressure with you in the room of like, oh, Heidi probably doesn't want me to get my water broken. Or maybe like just subconsciously they're thinking that, but maybe they want that. And so even saying to your client, like, do you need me to step out and you and your partner just have time to talk about that? I think that, you know, that's also something as duals we need to learn better. I'm not thinking we also know best for our clients and that our clients, our clients know what's best for them and giving them that space to follow their intuition. And yeah, I think that you are so true about towing that line. I tend to get a lot more like real on things like this, like podcasts and stuff um, versus like social media. Cause I think there's so much fear based. Mm-hmm. Um, 
content on social media from people who had traumatic births, who had non-consensual touch during their births, who, you know, had these bad birth experiences. I think that there's already such like a onslaught of that on social media that I really try to stay in that, that side of like, empowering you with like the decisions you can make or the things you can do to have a better birth in the current birth system that we work into. But you know, on some, you know, some you know, when talking with other doulas on podcasts, it's like, yeah, as somebody who is one of the most supportive people of hospital birth and like has devoted, you know, her doula work to trying to help support people inside of hospital birth environments and help change the system from the inside out. Like, yeah, shit sucks sometimes. Like it's scary sometimes in there like they're still you know three and a half years in sometimes I have things where I'm like holy fuck like what did that just happen you know what did that doctor just do what did that nurse just do what just happened like what just happened in this birth um and you know I hope that many that like people can't relate to that because that didn't happen to them but that is like the reality of some of the things that we witness as as people seeing lots and lots of different types of births across lots of different types of hospitals and providers and that sucks but I think it's also important to be prepared for like what to do if that happens to you or um, especially as doulas or nurses or people listening to this who work inside of birth work to be like what do I do when those things happen to the patient or the client I think is so important and I think that it also helps preserve your role in the birth space of being able to show up for your clients and not hold all of this like secondhand trauma and blame for like being a witness during those experiences if that if that makes sense yeah because that's a quick way to burn out a quick way to that's why a lot of doulas exit the hospital system and they just can't even Mm -hmm. support them anymore because it does I mean it can be very very triggering and it's yeah. like you have to separate yourself and figure out how to not get triggered <laughs> and like yeah. get triggered, but put it to the side and deal with it later. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have another mom calling you in labor. So <laughs> who might be delivering at the same hospital? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. This was so good. And I know we have to like respect the time of our day. Um, I do want to know maybe if you can just throw out one little tidbit about like how how are you doing this work and a mom you're you're a business owner you're a mom you're clearly doing mother way paving a different path so like just any blip you want to say about that and then just any last words that you are like things that are just on your heart right now like maybe things that have happened this week or just like going on right now that you just want to add yeah that's a great question I love that you focus on that because it is so complex being like a business owner and a mom um and I think one I think something that's really really helped me is um separating my work from my mom life so like I try to have days where I'm on for work and then days I'm on for like mothering so what that looks like for me as somebody who works in a very a very schedule demanding space dual work you know like I can be called in the middle of the night I can be gone for two days over a weekend is that I have two days a week where I don't have childcare and I try not to work at all on those days so like those days are like my days with the kids that I can spend quality time with them obviously unless I'm out of birth three days a week I'm like in office and I like come downstairs which is my office that we're sitting in right now and like that's my office days and I feel like that allows me to have a lot more like quality time with my kids instead of just like it being a quantity of time um because I feel like before I was like with my kids more like you know, maybe I was didn't have childcare as many days or something, but I was like on my phone answering emails or on my, you know, on phone calls with clients or doing things on social media. Like, and so I really tried to like separate it about my days off. I'm going to post on social media, like it's during nap time or before I like start my day with the kids. Like I'm try I try to really make it really separate um, so that when I'm with them, I'm spending time like with them and I'm not like on my phone working while I'm with them um and that has that has given me a lot more balance just kind of trying to make that shift the last like 
I'd say since my second baby was born, like a year and a half ago, I've tried to make that shift and it's helped a lot. Um, and something else that I try to always keep in perspective is that I truly feel as a mother that working makes me a much better mom. Um, like I personally, like the, you know, if my child cares on vacation, I'm home with the kids most of the week, I like lose my patience more with them. I'm like more frustrated with them. Like I just am somebody who really enjoys having something outside the home that I'm like devoting my time and energy to and kind of is fulfilling that part of me that like, you know, I worked hard in my career to like get to a point where I could open my own business and be successful. And I went to school while pregnant and like all, you know, all these things and try to like have this life. And so um, I really, you know, I personally think that there is like a lot of value for me and like personally in my life and working outside the home and that it really does make me a better mom um, having that kind of side of my life fulfilled because I think that if I wasn't working and I was just staying at home with my kids, I would feel like I was giving up a part of myself in order to like be their mom and I would never want to like hold that on them you know during their life of like I gave up this part of myself that I'm very passionate and worked really hard for like my career in order to like stay at home with you full-time and I think that that has made me a better mom to like truly enjoy parenthood and then also truly enjoy like the other parts of myself that are also important that make me me <laughs> I love that. And I think that is a great place to end. I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on the mom. I'm sure, just as working moms. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, people ask, what do you do if you get called to a birth and you don't have childcare? And like, I want to ask you all of these questions, but I know that yeah. we don't have time. Um, yeah. But this was so, so great. I would love for anybody listening to if you have questions about things that we've said today, like reach out to us, reach out on Instagram. That's probably the best place. Um, Heidi, I'll let you like plug your stuff and I'll make sure and drop it in the show notes. Um, but like our doors are open, reach out, like ask us these questions, ask us to clarify, like that's what we're here for. And it's so nuanced and it's, it's a vulnerable time. It's, it's a lot. So just know that you have support. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I can plug real quick. Um, so you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at what a doula do. It's all one word. What a doula do. Um, and then uh, my website for my business is block births, B-L-O-C births.com. Um, if you're kind of just looking at my business in Kansas City or want to read some of our blog posts on there. And then you can also find me and one of my doulas have a podcast podcast um, me and Ellie have a podcast that's in the middle um you can find that on I think Spotify Amazon and Apple um podcasts uh and we just kind of talk it's not just about doula talk it's just about mom talk mom talk and we just talk about all things like the middle ground of parenting because I think social media has made so many like device so much divisiveness in the birth world in the newborn world in the baby like everything yeah. and so we just talk a lot about kind of that middle ground and you know how to parent your way and stuff so kind of all different topics sometimes it's more informative podcast it's just fun things but yeah we had taylor on so you should come check out her episode where she's not in the podcast host role and talking all things twin pregnancy it was such a good episode yeah and i mean i love that like the moms in the middle and the finding that middle ground it is so divisive and we have to be able to come together and we have to stop shaming each other and we have to just be able to like Oh, yes. I love it so much. Thank you so much for this. I, yeah, I am just so grateful to be able to talk to you and I hope you have yeah, a great conversation. All yeah, the links you. will be in the show notes. Perfect. Bye. Okay. Bye.